If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to throw you a little curveball. We are going to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, looking at the church of Ephesus tonight. But I need to set the, the, the stance for the church. I need to invoke the love that God has for His people and for His community. I need to invoke that love for us tonight. And the only place, the only way I know to do it is from Scripture. And so let me start with this. This is how God, this is how Christ sees us. And this is how we are to him. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like a tower of David built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like two twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 4. That is the passage to the lover. That is the passage to the lover. To you and I, as God's word says that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. He sees us as beautiful. He wants to be with us. He desires us desperately. And so as we look at the church of Ephesus... Have that thought in your mind. It is said of your generation that they love Jesus, but they dislike the church. Believe that? That they love Jesus, but they dislike, they even hate the church. Because as we were growing up, as you were growing up, many flaws were found in the bride. You say, well, were they always there? The answer is yes. Even from the time of Christ, these flaws have always been there. And they've always been amplified. But it seems as though for us today that as these are amplified, we have said, I will accept Jesus. I will love him, but I don't want to be a part of his people. And tonight, what God's word says to us is simply this. You cannot have the bridegroom without the bride. You can't have Jesus without his people. And so you may love Jesus and have some issues with the church, but God's word says that if you love Jesus, that you must love the church. And so as we look at God's word tonight, I want you to keep that in mind. 
The phrase that I want to put in your head is this. Our passion is reignited when we remember his promises. Our passion for God is reignited, reinvigorated, reclaimed when we remember his promises. And so, do we need the church? The answer is definitely yes. It says here in Revelation 2, 1, that he is the giver of the spirit that sustains the church. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we have read about him earlier. And we know that he holds them in his hand. He is the giver of the spirit that sustains the church. He is also the agent that binds us together. Revelation 1.13 reminds us of that. It points us to that. It says there in 13, if you'll look there with me real quick, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe. And we talked about that last week, that he is amongst us. He is the binding agent for us as the church. It is his love, his grace, his hope that brings us together and keeps us together. Because let's just be honest, if it wasn't for Jesus, the church would not exist. I mean, do we really love our brother that way? Or do we love them in Christ? More than likely, we love them in Christ because the church is made up of difficult people. We'll come back to that. Love cannot exist in isolation. It turns to pride. Grace cannot exist in private. Cut off from others, grace is perverted into greed. Hope cannot exist in solitude. Separated from community, hope goes to seed and forms fantasies. No gift from God can develop apart from his community. God cannot have his way in us without the church. We grow in community, not in isolation. It is quite often that you would talk to someone and they would say, you know what, I just, I just like chilling out by myself on Sunday morning. I mean, I have God's word and my, I have my journal and I just like chilling out. That's all I need. It is clear here in God's word that that is not God's plan for us. That that is not what he desires for us. Here's some biblical examples of this, and I'm going to shoot through these pretty quickly. Yes, a private faith would be easier, but the Bible says that we are to be called out of our individualism, our privatism, and called into a relationship not only with him, but with each other. Genesis 2.18 it is not good for man to be alone. Genesis twenty two seventeen. I will make you a seed as numerous as the sands of the sea. Hebrews 25, 10, 25. Do not forsake meeting together. Luke eleven twenty two. When you pray, say our Father, not my Father. Mark twelve thirty one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Galatians two. Bear one. Galatians six two. Bear one another's burdens. The church is designed to be a body, not a single cell organism. Amen? 
designed to be a body, not a single cell organism. There are other examples of this. Can you imagine playing football and just the quarterback being on the field? 11 on one. It's good odds. I don't know, but some football games this past weekend seemed like that a little bit. Or how about, let's just take the bridegroom and the bride example and amplify that a little bit. Ladies, can you imagine having a wedding party of yourself? Who's going who's gonna to take the flowers? I would like to, oh, this is getting very difficult. Right? We understand this in sports. We understand this in the wedding. But in the community of faith, how are you going to grow? Well, you said, God's word is all I need. Hmm, true. But how are you going to apply it to your life when other people aren't helping you hear, read, and filter and apply it? Again, our passion is reignited when we remember his promises. The, the church is the main way God battles the sin. That is why it is in his right hand. And so let's get to the church of Ephesus now that we've established this pretty clear argument for the church. I'll read again. This is Ephesus, this is, uh, excuse me, Re Revelation 2 and 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for what you are doing here in this church and in the macro church, Lord, around the world. We ask that tonight, as we look at the church of Ephesus, Lord, convict us, Lord, help us to remember and repent and to be reminded, Lord, rekindled, reignite a passion for you through the power of your promises fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the church of Ephesus specifically here tonight, knowing that the church is important, seeing the biblical evidence for that, I think it is important for us to understand what this church was about. If you look at how Christ is uh, exemplified here, it's pretty easy to see. There are some compliments, some encouragement that John gives to the church at Ephesus. So I want you to think about this church as a body of believers with members that act and are like this. And so if you look at this, you see very clearly 
what these people have going for them. It says, I know your deeds. In other words, John is echoing Christ here saying, I know who these people are. I get them. I see them. I know what's going on in this church. He knows their deeds. And he says, I know your hard work, your perseverance, and so on. And so as you think about this person that is in this church, what would you think this person would be like? They would be hardworking. They would be a person that perseveres under hardship. They would be discerning. They would know if someone was being a truth sayer or not. And so these are, this is not a bad church. This is not a difficult church, really. They even know when false prophets come in and they hate the Nicolaitans, which are basically a perverse sex cult. They kind of got it together. Wouldn't you agree? They kind of know what's up. But the one thing that Christ has against them is a pretty big deal. It is that they have lost their passion of, for God. They have lost their passion for God. And I think for us as college students, for many of us, this is where we find ourselves because, I mean, we've been there, we've done that, and we've got all the camp t-shirts to prove it. You ever feel like that? I, I, I want to say this to you. What if we lied to you? Do you ever feel like you've been lied to your entire Christian life? What if we as ministers have sold you a bag full of fool's gold? Because in many ways we have. We've lied to you. Because we have told you that the zenith, the pinnacle, the very tip top of knowing God and loving him is to be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a minister. Is that true? The answer is no. That is not the truth. And so you have a skill set that has been developed throughout your life, a story that God has intricately crafted for the entire time that you have existed and the zenith, the top, the best of the best, the best that you're ever going to be is a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. You see, we've put titles that have really stifled all of Christianity. We've put it in a box that God never intended it to be in. We've made it cute and pliable and marketable. But the Christ of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, he is not marketable. He is much, much more. He's more than a phrase on a t-shirt. 
He's more than a simplistic catchphrase. He has to be because he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, all things by him, through him and to him forever and ever. Amen. And so you have this skill set that God has crafted and built in you for your entire 18 to 21 years of age. And then we say to you, you know what? Graduate, get a degree, get a job, give a little bit of money to the church. And if you can, try to teach GAs, RAs, mission friends, or be a deacon when you become 35. If that's all there is to the faith of God, the Alpha and the Omega, I want out. Don't you? There's only one person that wants out. The rest of you are totally in. Cool, great. Don't you want, I mean, I do. I want an epic adventure that is mind-blowing. <laughs> I'm Gen X, guys. I'm not millennial. We rage against the machine. When you say no, we say yes. When you say stop, we say go. That's who my generation is. Now, y'all may be different. I don't know. Y'all are still a lot to be defined. Generation Z, whatever. But you know what? The God that I serve is much bigger than a box and a title. He wants an epic adventure that will transform humanity. That's what this says. He says, I know you. I get you. I have you. But you know what? You got to have passion for my name. You've got to have, you've got to remember. Right here. Remember. Verse five, remember the height from which you have fallen. In other words, there was a point in your life where Jesus Christ mattered. He was the only thing that mattered. His love for you, his hope for you, his grace for you was the only thing that mattered. And it may be that that was the pinnacle when you gave your life to him, but is it all downhill from there? Please, God, no. Amen? All right, I'm just preaching to myself then. That's cool, whatever. Amen? You want the best that it ever was to be the moment where God transformed your life? Or do you want an epic adventure with God for forever? Okay, all right. I get it. And so we have to remember what God has done. Maybe you were at a camp. And the pastor said, who here tonight would give their life to Christ that he would use them? And you raised your little hand and he said, if that's you, come forward. And you were scared and you were crying and you came forward and your God said, God, I don't want to go to hell. And you prayed with your youth minister or children's minister or maybe a friend of a friend of a relative or maybe it was your little teeny bopper friend and you just prayed and he's like, God, I don't know what to say, but I know I need you and I want you and I want you now and I want you to change my life for forever. And that's what that first moment felt like. Maybe is that a revival? Maybe your church still does those things. That's awesome. 
Maybe it was on a mission trip. Maybe you can't even freaking remember when it was. But your parents told you it happened because you were seven or eight or nine and it was at vacation Bible school or something like that. And you can't remember, but you know it happened because it's written on the inside of your Bible or at least your kid Bible because now you're older and more sophisticated and you have a student Bible or now you're more sophisticated than that because your grandmother got you a study Bible because you're going off to college to study. So you might as well have a study Bible as well, right? That's just pretty logical. But you know what? Do you still have the passion that sparked it all? Or have you become like the church at Ephesus and forgotten the spark that started it all? Remember. Beg God to reignite the passion that he began in you. Passion wanes. It does. It waxes and wanes. It will diminish. If you are in really anything for a long period of time, sports, football, you know, football. If you've been playing ever since you were in peewee league and now you find yourself in college, you may at some point in there have been like, yeah, I just really football sucks. Maybe that came out of your mouth and your dad's like, don't say that. It's your future. You're like, please God, no. Now, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but maybe this happened in a love relationship. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. So I'm starting to meddle. And you're like, there were certain points in our five-year relationship where I was like, is she? I don't know. Will she? I'm not sure. Do I? I have no idea. You're kind of like, eh. And then, you know, prom came. And you're like, she the one. You know how I know? I mean, look at it. I mean, yeah. Love rekindled. Love rekindled. Right? How about for your major? <laughs> ow, ow! You ask some of these seniors and like, you know, the first class I had in business, I was like, I'm a business major for forever. Or some of these nurses and like the human body is so cool. And then they get to where it's, they got to stick people and change bedpans and like, uh-uh. Ain't cool no more. This ain't even funny, y'all. I mean, can we please get a different thing going on here? Because the passion diminished. But then you remember. You know, you know what you remember? For here, for the church at Ephesus, they have to remember the promise that God is with them in their midst. He is in the middle of it all. He gets them. He knows them. And that he has all these things that he has said, you have done so well with. I know your works that you know and do not tolerate evil. He says that he knows that they've been tested and done well, that they've persevered through hardship. And you know what? They're big Celtics fans. You know why? Because they hate the Knicks. 
That was for free, y'all. <laughs> I'm a Celtics fan. I hate the Knicks. <laughs> that, that. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> but beyond the remembering, there's another thing that we must do, and that is we must repent. It says right here, just in the next verse, it says that we must repent. At the end of verse 5, it says, repent and do the things that you did first. What things did you do at first? When you first began to love God, what did you do? Some of you probably read entire books of the Bible without stopping. And you were just like, man, I can't get enough. You, every praise song that came on the radio, you probably didn't know jack about the words. You didn't know them all, but you would make them the heck up because you're like, I got to sing praises to Jesus. And you would even turn rando, non-spiritual, secular songs. You'd be like, this has got to be about Jesus because he's the only one that this could be about. You know, guilty, don't point fingers. Because for you, everything at the beginning, you're like everything. If this is God's world, then everything points to Christ. And you are excited about it. And so to reignite the passion, you've got to repent and just say, God, I'm sorry, I'm tired. God, I'm sorry that I kind of gave up. God, rekindle, reignite this passion in me. The good news for you is that you're in college now. And the epic adventure of God's relationship working itself out in your life can go and be whatever he desires it to be through your life. And so you're like, man, I want to do this. Why don't you? What's stopping you? Here's some things that'll stop you. Your own expectations. Other things that'll stop you, your friends' expectations. Third thing that'll stop you, your parents' expectations. Those three things are probably the biggest passion killers of college students that I've ever seen in being here 16 years. A college student comes and says, I feel like God's calling me to do this. I'm like, man, that's awesome. They go home, they tell mom or dad, and mom or dad says, that won't make any money. You can't do that. These are godly Christian parents. Hey, look, I'll be real honest with you. One of my best friends here at this church I have known his children since they were knee high. I have known his children a very long time. 
the first time that we talked about ginseng, and you'll hear more about that later, we asked people to go and be missionaries for God in large cities. His daughter boldly walked forward and she goes, I want to go to Chicago this summer and tell people about Christ and help new churches be planted in Chicago because I know that there's a lot of people there and they probably need Jesus. And she's like, I have to go. I want to go. I was like, awesome. She go home, goes home and, call, and tells her dad. Her dad calls me the same night and says, what did you do to my baby? I said, uh, nothing. He said, you've told her that she can go to Chicago and tell people about Jesus. I was like, that's true. He said, she can't go to Chicago. I said, why not? Did she commit a crime there and she got a warrant for her arrest? Because that could be possible. I don't know some of y'all, you're pretty shady people. Don't point fingers. Some of y'all are so, it's accusatory this evening. Okay, people giving looks. People are like, I know this dude, he wanted it in some places for sure. <laughs> All right. I said, man, I didn't put that passion in her. I just gave her opportunity. You know who put that passion in her? Jesus Christ. And I hate to tell you, one of my best friends, I said, I hate to tell you, if you think I'm going to stop it, you got another thing coming because I will not be partner to a sin like that. Because if God places a call on your life and you don't answer the call to him, that is sin. And so when God raises up that passion in your life, a passion for his name that you must proclaim to your sweet mate, to your dorm mate, to the person in your class, to your professor, wherever, whoever, when he raises that up, Remember his promises. When he reignites that in you, let it burn you the heck up. Because that is what the church at Ephesus had ceased to do. They had gotten everything else right. And God's word said they had one thing wrong. Oh, you can read your Bible every day. You can sing praise songs all day long. But if you lose the passion that you have for God, you're just going through the motions. And I'm begging you, don't go through the motions. You want to be an accountant? be the best dang accountant anyone's ever seen. You don't have to work for a church, but as you are counting every nickel and dime for someone else or for yourself, proclaim his name boldly and proudly and loudly that he is your God. And you are his people. Remember. Remember. Reignite our passion for you, Lord Jesus. Let us repent. 
Let us not just rise to the office of deacon or Sunday school teacher, but let us begin an epic adventure with you that blazes a trail like none has ever seen for the glory of your name. You say, Casey, that sounds really broad. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? That means this is his world. It is his creation, and he's asking you to burn it up for him. So you want to be a plumber? Awesome. Be the best plumber that God's ever created. You want to be a missionary? Great. You want to go to Abu Basusa, Zaire, wherever? I don't care because where has never been my care when it comes to people serving the Lord. I don't care where you go. I just care that you go. Because let's just be honest. Rustin ain't that exciting in the summer. I've been here for 16 of them. It's pretty Dullsville. Here, I'll help y'all with that. <laughs> We're retweeting that a lot. If y'all, you know, because it's just, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, what? What is it? Did I get it right? Okay, good. So we have an opportunity for you tonight. Can we, can we acknowledge through the reading of God's word that God has done some great things in our lives, that he has brought us through some great things? And we need to remember those promises. The promise that he has for the church of Ephesus is really clear. If you look at the end, it says, to him who has an ear, to him who has an ear, hey, listen up, to him who has an ear. You got two of them, listen up. To him who has an ear, to him who has an ear. Right here. To him and has an ear. There we go. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Eternity with Jesus Christ. That's the promise. So when you remember that promise, that is probably what got you through a lot of difficult things. That Jesus Christ loves you so much that you will not die the second death. That you have victory. Oh, come on now. Come on, baby. Come on. That you have victory over death in the grave because who holds the keys? He holds the keys. Who holds the keys? He holds the keys. Who holds the keys? He holds. Come on, who holds the keys? He holds the keys. Woo, I tell you what. You're starting to have church in here finally, okay? Man, that's all. I heard him. I heard him. Where they at? Woo! Who holds the keys? Come on, who holds the keys? All right. The promise of everlasting life is found in Jesus Christ because he holds the keys. Now here, I want us to make sure we get this tonight, okay? Because we're going to have you give a little testimony tonight, and you're going to do that by standing up. Whoa, whoa. You're like, what did you just say? I think that you just said something that I'm not totally comfortable with. It's okay. Christ never called us to a life of comfort. Praise him. So here are some things that God may have brought you through. And if God has brought you through and you claim the promise of eternal life, you claim the promise of his love, his hope, his grace, then you can stand up. Just testify. Remember how God brought you through the death of a loved one. I'm standing. I'm standing. I ain't ashamed. I believe in Jesus Christ. Remember how God walked you 
or walked with you through a difficult relationship. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a scorned lover. Remember when God led you through money problems. Remember when God stayed with you when you detoured from his ways. 